Undog Notebook Podcast, a podcast featuring the stories, trips afield, and legacies that are left following great gun dogs and classy bird dogs. I'd like to thank my sponsor, the Pride Dog Food, for their excellence in performance dog nutrition and Orvis for allowing me the written platform for my outdoor writing. I'd also like to thank the other friends and contributors that make this gun dog community such a great thing. Thanks for listening. This is the next episode of the Gun Dog Notebook, hosted by Darrell Smith. Okay, guys, this is another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast, a special one because uh, just a second ago off air, I was talking to these gentlemen about making my New Year's resolution, which they did, <laughs> and getting more involved um, in conservation efforts, conservation activities, and really pushing myself and understanding um, how the system works deeper and deeper. And um, I think I got the right two guys on. So if you guys would welcome, this is the uh, Northern Polk chapter of uh, Pheasants Forever with Blake Bonnickson and uh, Uriah Hanson. How are you guys? Living the dream. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uriah, you there? I'm here. I'm good. Right. Well, that's just more of an excuse for y'all to come down to Georgia and come hunt. We got a <laughs> right. we got a little bit of season left down here. <laughs> no kidding. That's cool. Well, you know, I'm just really thrilled that you guys are um you know on the podcast and you guys are up in Iowa. And so just before we even get into you guys' background, what is it like in Iowa? That's kind of been the state that down here we don't really look at, if that makes sense. Like, it's it's kind of so far away from us. It, it's kind of out of eyesight. What's that like? Yeah, so this year it's been a little bit weird. It's been, throughout season, it was, it was actually pretty pretty nice weather. And then now it's all, now the snow hit us pretty hard this last weekend. And the, actually the weekend prior too so okay uh, just missed the season so um it's either cold or cold or warm right right and that's so interesting like because here i don't know it's just it seems so far away and so all i thought about about iowa was snow that's that's all i knew about iowa (laughs) (laughs) wow snow and corn it was a little disappointing season this year. I mean, as far as birds, the numbers were good, but we never got the cold, snowy weather to really make them sit down. And right. So uh, even like what was it, the fifth of January, Blake? We did a mentored hunt, and you know we probably saw two hundred plus birds in the morning, but uh, when they're flushing at two hundred yards or more, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't bring the rifle. Yeah, we need a rifle at that point. Right. Exactly. You're not gonna. You're not gonna connect on those. that is funny well and you guys i mean you guys got some pretty wily birds up there first of all hunting pheasants anyway is a whole task in and of itself (laughs) um so do y'all do do, i guess they flush 200 yards but when the snow hits them and makes them sit are they running birds or are they gonna hold a little bit tighter uh when it's so when it's 
when it's snowy and cold, they'll usually sit and hold pretty tight. I mean, to the point where with a pointing dog, you're, you're kicking their tail feathers to get them out of the grass. Really? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty fun when you can get out there on a nice fresh snow, uh, you know, snow the night before, get out there bright and early in the morning, and, and you can usually have a pretty good morning if you, if you know where you're going. Gotcha, 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 yeah. gotcha. Yeah, my dog, actually, I went up to Northwest Iowa one weekend, and uh, he almost caught a, caught a hen after his point so really getting that close to him (laughs) yeah so i have one pheasant story that i tell everybody um my first well my first real season um i ended up going to camp to uh kansas to go hunt and my dog didn't know what pheasants were because we don't hunt those down here and aside from a tower shoot um and we hadn't quite got to that point yet so we're walking, walking, walking through Kansas, and when the dog totally misses it, I guess the bird was holding so tight. I think I stepped on it, and the bird blushes, scared the life out of me. <laughs> and I'm, I, I guess I'm glad I never shot it because I couldn't tell. I mean, looking back now, there was no noise or anything that that cock that that noise that cock birds make, but. There was no noise or anything, and I didn't really see a tail that I could see, but it flew into the sun. <laughs> totally blinded me, so that was my excuse as to why I never shot it. <laughs> hey, I've had that experience, too. Man. It's a excuse up here. It is. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. It went into the sun. I didn't want to make a risk and shoot a head. <laughs> right. Right. Living daylight out of me, but... I mean, and, and I mean, when they get up off the ground, it was it was really amazing, um, just to see how powerful those birds are and, you know, with pheasants and stuff, I, I like to hunt them because they are a bit of a challenge to shoot. I mean, as far as I've, I've seen a couple eat steel, I mean, really eat steel and keep it moving. Oh yeah. I've seen feathers fall. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing is, uh, I was on a hunt, oh, it was late December and we hit a bird and, you know, dropped it and, and I looked down at my Garmin collar and my dog was my short hair was at over 200 yards wow. and I was like no way does she come back with this bird and, and let alone here she comes back it's head still held high he was alive as all get out I mean they're tough birds going from 0 to 225 yards in 30 seconds <laughs> right right I mean and it's it really makes a huge difference you know the way that you hunt them and stuff like that but we'll get into that because you guys that's y'all's thing and I don't want to jump the gun so first and foremost <laughs> Now that we can get into it, um, I can already tell I'm going to like talking to y'all. So <laughs> let's talk about a little bit about y'all's background um, and y'all's history with the dogs and, and some of y'all's earliest memories. Um, just either one of y'all, Blake, you're right. I don't care who goes first. Just run it. Yeah, so I can, I can go go ahead. Uh, my first bird that I ever got was in a cornfield by my parents were pushing the cornfield, and I was on the end pointing. And bird got up. I'm shaking with adrenaline. I was like 12 years old, and I uh, got up, and I just shot and finally dropped one. I actually hit it. So Nice. And then my lab came up and fetched it up, and yeah, the rest was history. Okay. So I, I, I was pretty, pretty pumped about hunting after that point, and pheasant hunting was... A good workout, and uh, it's just nice to be out in nature for me. 
Right, right. And and you started off with a lab. I caught that. I wasn't going to let that go. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's what I actually grew up with. And then my, my wife said the last we had were like 120 pounds or something. And she's like, I, I don't want that kind of big dog. And I'm like, they're not all that big. <laughs> well, she can come and get mine because mine's is two, two and some change. And he about, he might be 60 pounds. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it works great for me because he doesn't win, you know, he, he doesn't like get winded that often. So, you know, I can't hunt him like a pointer, but, you know, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of problems. Right. And they don't get cold. Right. So that's another plus. Right. Right. They are. And that's the thing. This little dude here, I think he's just so adjusted to Georgia weather, though. If you blow on him the wrong way, he kind of <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? Um, but no, I mean, they say that one more time. He wouldn't know what to do with himself up in this uh, 12 degree weather. Oh my God. No, he, he probably would get back in the truck and drive off. (laughs) 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 So I, I, uh, he's, he's a good dog though. But yeah, like I said, I, I had to, I had to catch you on the lab. I wasn't going to let it slip. (laughs) (laughs) So Uriah, how about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I started pretty similar to Blake. Uh, I actually got into it, really. I went to a uh, youth hunt when I was, uh, I think, 11 or 12, around that same age. My dad had hunted back when he was younger and stuff, but sort of life got in the way and and family and everything, so he didn't hunt too much growing up. But then I got interested through that youth event. uh, I remember my first hunt, though. We pulled up to the parking spot about 7.30, I'm up here at 8. And we pulled the cornfield next to the grass we planned to walk. was had about 25 pheasants in there. And we sat there and we looked and we go, no way is it this easy. <laughs> and uh, about 10 minutes before shooting time, they all fly over into the grass. And we're like, oh, here we go. And uh, we had no more than got... 20 steps out of the car, rooster gets up, boom, shoot it, it goes down. And with our youth season up here in Iowa, it's, it's one bird a day uh, for the early youth season. Mm-hmm. So we literally spent more time driving to the spot, sitting there waiting. About five minutes in, shot a bird, turned around, and went home. <laughs> wow. That's about the perfect year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... Look, if you keep talking like that, you convince my wife to move us up to Iowa because a short hunt like that, I think I get her every time. Oh, yeah, it was it was one of those things where it, it was short and sweet, and it, it just kept got the fire lit, and it was almost surreal because to have it be that easy on your first one shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually it, I had a similar scenario. I was training training copper one weekend, and uh, it was youth season. And I, wa- I was watching this dad and kid, and they were walking for probably probably 100 yards, and then Rooster got up, shot it. I walked over to him, and I'm like, that was a nice shot, kid. <laughs> and like, thank you. And they were, they were done for the day. <laughs> Man, look, and, and you can go out with style, too, so. That's right. That's right. That is wild. I mean, <clears throat> so w- pheasants are an introduced bird, but you guys have done such a really good job, you know, keeping habitat. I mean, if you're, if you guys are, it speaks volumes if you guys are having hunts like that that easy. And, and it seems to me since y'all were kids, so it's been, 
you know, a few years passed. You guys have kept Habitat really well, though. So, I guess, can you talk about the the some of the history behind, you know, Pheasants Forever? What what exactly are you guys doing to keep Habitat so good in Iowa? Yeah, so, um, I will say Iowa's had a struggle. I mean, we're a farm economy. Mm-hmm. So I, I even look at from, you know, when I was in high school, so I've been out for almost 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were having good times. We went through some slumps uh, with the corn prices rising to seven, eight bucks a bushel. There's a lot of fence rows, waterways, et cetera, ripped out of, the, out of CRP and just out of set-aside grass. Uh, but now that we're seeing the crop prices go back down, you're seeing a lot of push on the conservation practices. Um Iowa right now is having a huge water issue right now. So mm-hmm. uh, at our state house and in the government, there, there's a lot of talk on how do we reduce nitrates, improve water quality, et cetera. And with water quality comes conservation often. Yep. So, so our chapter, um, you know, I've been involved, I think, eight or nine years now. Blake, this is your second Se- full year? Second full year, um, yeah. Nice. It, it's, it, we're right here in the, the state capital, so we're – just on the north side of Des Moines Metro, uh, we we are one of the largest chapters in the state, and and we pride ourselves on you know really spending our account back down to zero, and we spend those dollars on on conservation right here in Central Iowa. Nice. Uh, ranging from uh, cost share programs with landowners on um, seeding programs, food plots to improve their stands, <clears throat> and then helping the DNR and local conservation boards purchase ground. So. Right. Most recently, I think it's been about three years, we helped purchase 154 acres uh, here in, in central Iowa. We've, uh, you know, over the last 30 years, which is longer than both Blake and I have been alive, but, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've spent over half a million dollars on land acquisitions and habitat improvement as a chapter. So, nice. you know, we really, pride, we really pride ourselves on, you know, spending those dollars and, and putting it back in locally, whether it's through habitat or hunter education programs and mentored hunts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the, one, the one thing I've been involved in a lot throughout my time was, is the mentored hunts. And, uh, those are just to get pe- people interested in hunting again and, uh, really creating a case for us to get that land and, uh, spend that do- those dollars. And, um, it's been really successful, really fun for us to see these people get the first bird right. that they shoot and I mean, get to see that excitement in their eyes. And, and that's what it's about, man, um, especially, you know, on a conservation thing, I'm I've heard a lot of different arguments about, you know, um, bringing people in. And we'll get to that part too the whole Arthur initiative. But, you know, I like to address both sides of, of conservation, right, where we want to bring kids in. And we want to, but the kids are not going to be the ones to do the work. The kids are going to be the ones to retain the legacy. But then you want the adults to come in um, to actually do the work. And and it's great that I see you guys both. You know, I got two people on a podcast that are really handling both sides of that. You see what I'm saying? Like it, it speaks to both sides of the issue about, you know, preserving a legacy. So with your youth hunts, you know, can you talk about some of some of those and, and more experiences and maybe some light bulbs that went on? Yeah, I think, um, you know, our chapter is really focused on youth for the last 29 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we hold an annual youth hunt. Uh, it's 60 kids every fall. We get out. They do archery, BB gun, shotgun, 
bird cleaning, uh, and then they actually get a chance to do a, a live pheasant hunt. And, and we do that pretty controlled. Uh, we do that, you know, one-on-one mentors, a planted bird, uh, pointing dogs, mm. really, really to make the experience as best we can. Right. Uh, I think we've all seen or heard about the youth hunts where they send 10 kids out with shotguns through a field and uh, <laughs> duck. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, we do, we do this pretty controlled. And, you know, I think sometimes when people show up and they see how controlled, they're like, ah, is this really good? But when you get that kid that gets up there, they don't care whether that bird was planted five minutes ago or has been sitting in the field for three years. Right. Uh, you know, that you see that smile on their face and their eyes light up and, uh, you know, really see that spark get triggered there. And then this last year, we started working with our Iowa DNR and, and a couple other nonprofit groups of, of hosting some R3 hunts. So I know we're going to get there a little further. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we, 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 can, we can actually get there now, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, so we've started putting some focus, and I think, you know, there's the National R3 Initiative, which we all, you know, most conservationists know, reactive, what is it, recruit, retain, reactivate? Yep. Um, so, we're, you know, our goal is to get some of these people uh, that didn't have the parents or resources growing up that got them outdoors and hunting, and get them out into the field, or <clears throat> someone that life got in the way and, and they want to get back in the field. Right. So this last fall, we, we hosted uh, the first our three hunt here in, in Iowa. And, and we had, I think we had 20 participants. It was, it was quite a few. Yeah. Nice. And we had 20 participants. And what I think I was most proud of is over half of them were, were women. Yeah. Okay. Like, we weren't only, we weren't only, uh, attracting, <clears throat> you know, a bunch of guys, your stereotypical hunting, uh, person, but we were attracting a bunch of females that, you know, maybe dad hunted and they hunted a little bit when they were younger or boyfriend or so-and-so gets mm-hmm. out and, and they just had an itch and, and it was exciting to see them really, you know, take hold. We partnered with a gold national wildlife refuge, Neil mm-hmm. Smith here in central Iowa. They're about 10,000 acres. Uh, 90% of it is open to hunting throughout the season. Nice. Uh, we worked with the refuge manager, and he actually let us take this R three hunt on some of their non hunting property. Really? Uh, yeah. So it was it was pretty unreal. The first the first hunt was yeah <laughs> yeah our first hunt, which I actually give kudos to all the participants that came and the guides and mentors that came to help. Is it was middle of December. It was our first shotgun deer season, um, and it was pouring down rain. It was about 32 yeah. degrees and raining. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, miserable. <clears throat> yeah, and so we all showed up in the morning, and we're like, how many of these mentors aren't going to show up, or mentees? Right. Uh, the night before, we had done shooting and, and some safety and all that, just general hunting overview. And so uh, Saturday morning, and let, lo and behold, every single one of them showed up, and every single one of them went out in the field. Nice. Even though it was miserable. Uh, I think as a group, we shot two birds, two or three. Um, Wow, okay. So One of the birds that my group got, he had to chase it for a good 150 yards, 200 yards, and the the dog was just on it and just... Just kept uh, kept relocating. Yep, the mentor was walking the mentee, and she's like, (laughs) what are are we doing here? He goes, locks on point, and... uh, the mentor walks up and it gets up and she she shoots it so yeah it's successful that's yeah, it was, and, 
and it was fun. And so we worked with the refuge and we had actually two follow up hunts for that group since the weather was sort of crappy and, and just to get them out and engage, you know, the more we can get them out, the more likely they are to go back on their own. Right. And so we had a, we had another follow up hunt late December. I think, uh, it was about half the group. So about 10 people and they shot, I think, uh, 12 or 13 birds. So I had really, really good luck. Nice. Uh, and then Blake and I helped on the second follow-up in January, and we had about another 10 people. Yep. Um, and, and we shot seven, eight birds. and was more than that. It was somewhere around seven to 10. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, every mentor got a shot. You know, a couple got their first bird. So it was it was a success all around. Yeah. Um, and we saw, you know, first off, best thing is getting all these 20 people out in the field and excited about being out there right that's secondly, a start we able, right yeah secondly we were able to introduce them to you know public hunting and conservation at its prime so the refuge that we were on i mean it's the most picturesque upland habitat that you can in ten thousand acres of your switchgrass and and uh you know woody draws etc you can't ask for more better cover Right. Yeah, these these people that are coming for these hunts are from around Iowa. Like there were people coming from Iowa City, uh, Davenport. So a couple hour drive from, and that just shows how interested they are to make that drive and that commitment. Right. Well, and that's and that's the dedication and commitment that we need. Now, what do you think? Just as far as R three, we're getting into that a little bit. Um, a little bit more when we're talking about the retaining part and i've always been curious about this what do you guys think actually keeps people retained do you think it's the 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 actual shooting of the bird the experience or do you think um is the dogs i've i've been curious to know like what do you think really draws people so me i actually i actually took a break from pheasant hunting throughout my uh college so I didn't hunt pheasant much at all and when I got into the real world per se uh, yeah. I ended up getting copper and started training him and I saw him out working in the field and that, it was just such a great experience watching him and uh, really got me me pumped up to see him doing what I was training him to do and uh, just being able to be out in nature was the best for me so that's what retained me into yeah. hunting and then getting involved in pheasants forever really really helped getting to know the great bunch of guys so right 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 and you know what i do also like about that is it, it a lot of the times you get in some of these groups and it seems like a boys club <laughs> I, I hate to say it but it does you guys are, you know, you guys are, are definitely counteracting that, and I appreciate it. Um, you're getting women involved, which is a huge thing. You'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised, how big a contribution women make to honestly keeping this hunting thing popular and, and keeping this hunting thing, you know, on the table and, and, and getting more people is going to be the women and the kids that keep up with it because, you know, us, hell, we don't we don't need a podcast to get up and share stories and, you know, get out and go hunting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you and know, think, go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, and I think, you know, you know, you mentioned our chapter and stuff is, I, I commend our chapter, and, you know, I'm on, I was on our state council board, so I was overseeing uh, all of them. Pheasants Forever in the state of Iowa as a volunteer. 
Um, and, and as I look at our chapter, and part of it's our geographic location. We're in the biggest metropolitan area in the state. We have mm-hmm. a million people right here within an hour. Right. Um, but I think we're going on seven, eight years of, of a female on our board. So we are, uh, Pre- Blake's predecessor, uh, Emily, she was our first female board member. She was secretary for four or five years. And nice. then, uh, just most recently we had another female step up, Amy Buckendall, who stepped up to be our communications and social media chair. And, and so, you know, we're trying to, I think that's a big thing as we look and we see these people want to join the chapter from these mentor hunts or get involved is, is the biggest thing is keeping them engaged mm-hmm. and it's not just showing up and, and having a beer with the boys once a month. And it's really, uh, you know, giving them something to do and getting them in, entwined in the group. Cause that's how we keep and retain them. Um, mm-hmm. and I would say, you know, 95% to a hundred percent of my hunts, uh, you know, since I joined the chapter are, are with the guys and, and girls of the chapter. Right. And so we've just done a really good job of, of keeping the people that get involved and, and getting them out. You know, there's emails and texts that are flying all fall of, Hey, who's going out this weekend? Or I got Thursday off. Who wants to go? And, and so just, you know, trying to get as many people out as often as we can to, to keep the sport alive. Right. Right. We're going to end. Hey, do you really have to work on Monday? <laughs> <laughs> right. Monday's a holiday. Let's, let's actually go out and hunt and, and, and get out in, in nature. Yeah. I um so you know the 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 point what everybody likes to hear about let's talk about the dogs let's talk about the dogs <laughs> everybody likes the dogs um you guys are hunting I, I tell me what the the terrain in Iowa was like first of all and 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 you're right what dogs are you working with you got a setter German short hair a retriever and Blake, you are running with a Vizsla. So what's that experience like running and training those dogs and learning the terrain? Yeah, so uh, I I started similar to Blake and similar to what you have right now. Growing up in high school, I had a lab. It was mm-hmm. actually a lab, Golden Retriever Mix. Okay. It came straight out of town. was the best Christmas puppy you could ever ask for. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no real formal training. When someone gives a 14-year-old a dog, I don't think they expect much. <laughs> here in Des Moines and, and when I got my first uh, apartment that allowed a dog I said hey I'm gonna buy a dog and I remember my mom going no she's like I'm just preparing to take this thing in because there's no yeah. way at 19 you're gonna take a puppy and, and be good during college right uh, well eight years later she's still here uh, <laughs> she <laughs> survived yeah. yeah yeah sleeping on the floor so uh nice that started a sort of my real passion like Blake said you know seeing the dogs work getting them out watching them do what they love to do and what they're bred to do uh, it is you know 95% of the fun of getting out so mm-hmm. I have the short hair um, my wife when I when we got together as luck would have it she had a golden retriever they were li- our dogs were literally a month apart wow uh, so two 21 year olds with two year old puppies was like who in their right mind gave these people dogs that sounds like a good first date <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, so uh, you know, for the first couple of years, didn't really get the golden retriever out. And 
all summer long and, and that we take them running though and just keeping them in shape and so one fall I said hey I'm just going to take her with and see what happens yeah and Winston uh, kicked in the minute that first bird got up under her nose and, and she, she's been at it ever since and she you know she'll be eight this year as well so it, it, it's been fun hunting them together watching them work together uh, you know you hear all kinds of different people's input on can you hunt a pointer and a flusher at the same time and you're going to ruin one, yada, yada. I love it, and I, I really actually like hunting them together when we do sort of the mentored hunts because uh-huh. nothing scares you more than when you have to walk in and flush that pheasant that you don't know where it is off the point. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I used to run beeper collars, and, and the minute the golden retriever heard those beeper collars, you've never seen an 85-pound golden retriever move so quick across the field. Right. <laughs> I, I believe it. Out what, she figured out what those beepers meant real quick. Right. Well, and to add to that real quick, just I, I, to, to interrupt, to add yeah. to that, um, just last weekend, I was down in Thomasville, um, Thomasville, Georgia, hunting wild quail uh, with my buddy Shane. And Shane has a German short hair. I've got a, you know, a lab. We didn't teach those dogs how to sync up. Yep. They just figure it out. Because Ruger, like you were saying um, about the beeper collar, he had a beeper on his dog, and he just figured out every time side would go on point. <laughs> well, shit, and, and I, it makes sense. I mean, shit, why use the extra energy? And when he was too far out, you know, Ruger would kind of would kind of cover and quarter the ground in between us, you know. But and then when he hit that point, it was just like you know, you see a dog moving towards you know size point. We like, oh shoot, we need to get there too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it is an amazing thing to watch those dogs work, but I just wanted to add that in too. I'm yeah. all for working them together. Yep. And so, and then, uh, I guess it's been a, a year and a year ago, or maybe two years this August, we got our, uh, third dog, our little setter. Mm-hmm. And we actually rescued her from a, uh, setter rescue. So, okay. uh, through, through the grapevine and, and lovely social media, we got to meet a really good friend that, uh, well now she's given three of us, me and two other buddies gotten us all little setters. Nice. But she does bird dog she does bird dog rescue. So at any given time she has between twelve and fifteen dogs that are, you know, someone said they can't hunt, they'll never be anything, dumped them, whatever it might yeah. be. And uh, she trains them and, and rehomes them into good homes that are gonna hunt them and love them and, and treat them right. So Okay. We, uh, for a few years we've been training with her going down with my short hair and and stuff like that, just going down a couple times a year and training and talking with her because she's a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, I was gonna say we need to get her on, man. She would be, she would be a good one. She's okay. uh, a heart of gold. Like I said, at any given time, she's got fifteen dogs, and I mean, she pulls up in her. She got a big three quarter ton Chevy van. Yeah. And she's got she got fourteen kennels in that thing. And that that's the uh, one that you guys work with. Uh, yeah. The kennels that you. Have. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she helped. Uh, first, my buddy Wesley, he got a little setter from her, um, and, and we had just put our la- we had a lab at, at that point. We had to put him down due to some concerns and issues he was having. Yeah, and so Man. we were all, we were always used to three dogs, and, and we're like, no, we're gonna stick with two. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> then the setter two comes. Two months later, we said. Two months later, our friend Judy, the the rescue lady, she uh she's like, hey, I got a dog. You should come see her. And, and it was done after that. <laughs> <laughs> So we got our setter, little setter Gemma. She's a uh, she was about a year when when we got her. So she's a little over two right now. Okay. And she is all she is all go. Yeah. She, uh, 
baller and just... Yeah, she... I think this year... I This was my first year hunting with the Garmin collars, which I absolutely love, but... Yeah. Um, I, I was try. I, I'm sort of a data nerd, so I tracked all my metrics and miles and birds mm-hmm. and, and uh, little Gemma. And I didn't. I don't hunt them all every single hunt. I sort of try and rotate them through. If I'm going three, four days in a row, try and keep the pointers fresh. And right. And uh, she went 220 miles this year or something. Holy cow! What? Yeah. <laughs> God, that dog. I, I, that dog is putting on some. Oh, you got you get an oil change yeah, for that dog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one hunt we hunted. Uh, we went over and we were hunting some, it was a mixture of real light pasture and then some heavier CRP. And, and she's one of those dogs. She'll run as big as the cover will let her. And, and she put on, I think 35 miles in one day. What? It, it was over in Eastern Iowa, Southeast yeah. Iowa. And, and she, and that was by two o'clock. She was just rolling. Just rolling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that dog is, Moo got some wheels on her, man. Yeah. She, she's, she's fun to watch. And, and, you know, she, we don't know her background. They found her running the streets down in Southeast Iowa. Right. And uh, came into the the rescue organization. And, and at first we got her and we're like, what did we get ourselves into? On right. Dog? She would sit in the backyard for hours, running the fence, chasing birds, just trying to climb the pine tree. And uh, she, My wife, I think there was a couple times where if someone would have offered to, to take her, she would have been gone. But she, yeah. we, we did send her off to a trainer for, for about a month and a half. Uh, we were expecting our first child last August, and we said, we've got to just calm down a little bit. And so she went there and got steadied up a little bit, and, and she didn't have much of a natural retrieve, so he started her on a, a force fetch, and, mm-hmm. and I finished her off when she came home. And and since she turned two, she's really started calming down in the house and, and become re- a really good bird dog all around. Nice, nice. It's something about that, two, that, that year two, man. It's... <laughs> Like, Ruger started kind of chilling out, um, you know, soon. And I'll be picking up, um, you know, my pointer. And I'm, that first year, I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. Like, <laughs> it's, it's something about that second year. Yeah. It's like they start to figure it out a little bit. They're not all the way there, but they kind of figure out, like, all right, I don't have to be a demon all day. Like, <laughs> um, exactly. that's, that's cool. So, um, now, Blake. You are running a Beachler, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so, and and I'm I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I've heard so many people give me Beachler horror stories, and I know you're not yeah. going to get on here and say that. So, <laughs> tell me about that. Yeah, it's been an experience, that's for sure. So, I never had heard of I never had heard of Beachler before, and uh, I went I was in Chicago actually, and July four two three years ago. Uh, I saw a Vishla just walking around. I'm like, what kind of dog is that? Yeah. And my, my wife was like, oh, that's a Vishla. And uh, so July 18th rolls around and I have a Vishla. And that first year, my my wife was telling me, she was like, if if Copper doesn't calm down, he's going to, we're going to have to get rid of him or something. I'm like, well, let's not go to extremes. <laughs> like, wait, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Hold the phone. So I actually ended up building him a doghouse that was heated, uh, tile floor, okay. uh, insulated everything. And by that time, he'd calmed down, and my and he was attached to my wife now. Right. So <laughs> you put like, a little extra insurance in there, though. Exactly. Exactly. So she's like, "No, he's not staying outside. It's cold out." And I'm like, "Okay, well, 
now he doesn't use the house. Right. <laughs> when you built it, now now he doesn't need it. Thank you. Thank right, you so exactly. much. Exactly. So, um, no, the training experience, he, he catches on super fast to things. Um, so the first year I took him out, he, he was kind of timid the first shot he heard. And ever since we got the first bird, so the first bird we got with him was my second hunt that we took him out. He got the bird, retrieved it and everything, and I didn't even tell him to retrieve at that point. Nice. Um, but, and then after that, that whole season, he was good to go and um, just working, working wonders. And I had a really successful season last year. And then throughout the off season, uh, this past summer uh, and then coming into the fall I didn't do a whole lot of training which is my mistake and um, had to kind of start start from scratch mm-hmm. and that first mentored hunt when it was 32 degrees pouring <laughs> rain uh, he heard a shot and he just sat right behind me and I was like oh man this copper copper's getting gun shy right. and um, I was kind of freaking out at that point and reaching out to a bunch of people. I think I reached out to you to see if you had any resources. And Yeah, and <laughs> a gunshot dog, that's a that's a thin it's line scary. to cross. <laughs> yeah, so actually that next weekend I, I couldn't I couldn't help myself, but I went out and uh, we actually had seven seven dogs, so six GSPs and copper and uh, we saw shoot we went down to a farmer Mm-hmm. Farmer's land in Iowa City, and we saw I would say 150 birds mm-hmm. in this field, and just getting in, getting in that access to birds and uh, right. Birds make a bird dog. So, they they do. Um, yeah, getting him out like that, and he caught on, and ever since that day, he has been perfectly fine this year. But mm-hmm. I learned from my mistake that I need to keep him running throughout the off season. Yeah, keep him going. I mean, and that's. That's the thing, and like I said, gunshot dogs and, and things like that. I tell people all the time, um, you know, dogs aren't born gunshot, and, and especially what I've noticed that just people that have a lot of continental breeds, um, those dogs are are for a lot of good reasons are not built with the crazy motors that some of us Americans put in our dogs. <laughs> and you kind of got to be real careful. I mean, because a lot of the times you'll get a dog that'll point and that'll flush, that'll hunt great, but they're not, you know, they're not built to be just big motor, high drive, crazy dogs. Um, and that fire, man, that thing will, that thing will shoot that dog's confidence right on out the, out the window. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you, you reached out and did the research um, to, to make sure you took care of that. Cause that's a very thin line to cross, man. Yeah, and I, I, Uriah actually said, asked, asked me, he's like, you think it was just the weather that, that day? And uh, I got to thinking, I was like, you know, I have a good experience to get him exposed to birds. And I, I don't think he was ever gun shy, to be honest with you. I think it was just the weather that he was he was freezing cold, and uh, I don't blame him. It was it was miserable out there that day. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ever since that day, he was, he was good to go, and I I didn't. I think I misdiagnosed. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's one of those things you can you never know. If dogs could speak up. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. 
<laughs> and they could tell. Um, and and I wish when you did reach out, I had a more concrete answer. I wish I did, because <laughs> it, it's just so many different variables that come with that. Um, you know, and and I'm also just now that you got my number. I mean, I'm the type of person that I'll go and ask. 50 million different other trainers and stuff like, yo, look, my buddy's got this situation. <laughs> what do you think about this? So, yeah, yeah man, it's um, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, now that you guys got my number, anything that I can, um, you know, do for information, reach out. Cause trust me, I will reach out to y'all like, Hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you're right. If you, if you, if he is open to that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you you there's, guys. There's always something to learn. That's I think you know, being on you know what I'll say is my our number four bird dog that I've had you know on my own. Yeah. Is, you know, just when you think you know it all, here comes another one. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yep. Right. So. And Copper was my first dog that I really trained, tried training myself. So. Right. I really get an appreciation of training and the persist or consistency of training that you have to partake in right 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 i'm i mean it takes that um it, it takes that it takes every you know going at it every day um and just really you know just it's almost like algebra to me it, it's, well, it's, exactly. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> and i was never good at algebra so <laughs> Um, it, it definitely is. Like I said, I, I wish that I was able to give you more of a concrete answer, um, back then. Cause I was like, dang, what would make this, this dog gunshot? I sat, sat on it, um, and thought about it. I asked a couple of buddies. Um, the one thing that I used to do, and I don't know if you had gotten, you know, to this point, what I did back then, um, I, I would go about a hundred yards away from the dog. Maybe you've heard this. But I would actually go about 100 yards away from the dog and fire a blank while they're like chasing birds or something like that, like way away. And then if they're, if the dog's not distracted, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, if the dog is still distracted and it didn't like jump or anything, move a little bit closer and keep doing the same thing. Yep. You yes, know. I, I actually reached out to a vet that's a trainer too, and that's exactly what she told me to do. And uh, she said, probably don't take him out until the end of the season, but I obviously didn't listen <laughs> right. to that. <laughs> it's too much. Uh, it's not the same going out without him. So. Right, 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 right. It's, it's definitely not. So, you know, as far as, you know, getting your birds on dogs, birds make the bird dog, right? What what all type of birds can you find in Iowa? Like that's definitely a destination hunt for a lot of people. Yeah, so I'll, I'll let Uriah take this one because he's he's gotten some <laughs> quail this year too. So. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, you know you can find pheasant. I would say ninety eight, ninety nine percent of the state. If you look hard enough, you're going to find pheasant. So um, that that's over. You know the most popular game bird here in the state. Yeah. And then in the last few years, uh, I think we've had almost 50% population increases continuously for the last two or three years on our quail population. Nice. Quail you can find in Iowa, basically Interstate 80 cuts the state about right in half. And anywhere south of Interstate 80, uh, you have 
a decent chance of finding quail. And of course, the farther you go south, the closer to the Missouri border you get, the better better chances you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, up until a couple of years ago, I didn't really ever target quail. And then these last couple of years, we've we've done a couple, you know, quail specific targeted hunts, and 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 we're pretty addicted. It's, right. it's fun when you get that covey exploding under the dog and. You know, you empty the gun and nothing falls. Right, right, right. Oh my gosh! Look, <laughs> that was last weekend, <laughs> and the, the 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 flush is so crazy. <laughs> goes on point it's in the worst possible spot to get into oh my gosh yeah yeah i mean it's they're in the thicket and you're like you know the quail aren't moving like a rooster where a rooster you can wait them out and they're gonna flush the right quail, they're gonna wait until you you flush them mm-hmm. really. yeah and so uh we, we had some pretty good quail shoots this year uh myself and uh, our vp another buddy of ours kirk we went down early season i took a week off of work just to bird hunt and and we went down to what we call our IHAPs, which are basically our walk-in hunting programs. Okay. Um, and, and we hit some of those down in southern Iowa. And we hit one 40-acre chunk that, we're, hey, you know, we'll just hit this after lunch on our way home. If, you know, maybe we'll scratch out a rooster or something. And, and we literally found four coveys in a fence line of a 40-acre chunk. Really? We, we got to one side, and, and we were both out of shells. <laughs> as quail hunting goes right and i'm running back to the truck empty gun and i bust the cubby just by myself running to the truck so wow with with the quail did your dogs do the same thing or did they yeah okay dogs just sort of picked it up just like it was you know instinct yeah Mm -hmm. that's cool that's really so, uh, cool because they, they they figure out you know the adjustment. I think some dogs might even like their points change or something like that um, per I mean, bird. Yeah, mine almost. I mean, they staunch up more. It's like they know they they need to be steady with them, and you know the pheasants. I sort of let my dogs get. I say I slack a little bit, but with the pheasants, they're they're running, so the dogs have to be on the move and, and ready to relocate mm-hmm. where the quail it seems like the dogs know they're not going anywhere they just stop right right makes sense that's and that's then, i mean otherwise uh iowa does have some hungarian partridge as well i used to shoot those in high school i grew up in northern iowa um okay you know they're not they're not real prevalent but you do get into pockets of them in northern iowa every once in a while and and they're a fun little bird they are you know, little cubbies, and they'll sit out in the middle of a cornfield, and you just got to get lucky. And <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, it's fun. I always got them all, uh, you know, not in huge populations for the Huns, but they make a comeback. They sort of on, on a cycle, it seems, as well, where, where they come back, and then they decline. And <clears throat> so... You can really get into those three. I won't say easily, but yeah. pretty. I mean, if you if you target, you could find those three species pretty easily. Uh, there are some rough grouse up in the northeast part of the state. Uh, I sort of call them the unicorn because mm-hmm. very few people ever actually see or shoot them in Iowa. Mm-hmm. But uh, up in the northeast, over by the Mississippi, and and there's some cliffs and things like that up in that section of the state. There there are some rough grouse and. And there is a season up there for them. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah the, it, I, was, I, was, it, I was talking to a farmer down in Creston, Creston, Iowa, and the high schoolers were actually having a competition to see how, how many coyotes and coons they could trap. So that, that was helping the quail population drastically. Really? So, like, yeah. how does that work? Like, that's a very interesting relationship. How does that work? So the coyotes and coons and all the... Uh, 
rodent type animals, those take out the quail a lot just because they will sit there and um, just hunker down until it's too late almost. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and they were, these high school kids were in like the 400, 500 clubs. And stuff. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. The farmer, farmer was like, I'll, I mean, I'd rather have them doing that than out on their iPad, iPad or mm-hmm. playing video games. So. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's definitely a, um, an interesting point that you brought up, Blake. Um, nowadays, and, and I have this because I've got a kid on the way come, um, <laughs> and, and, and you know, come August, right, and I'm just like, shoot, okay, um, the good thing is this kid is going to grow up with a dog, but the crazy thing is there's so much of a distraction, and I like technology, you know, we're, all three of us, we're not so old to be like, ah, you know, that technology stuff. Like, no, we're not that far gone. But Yeah, you're hiding at Garmin collars. Right. <laughs> our, our, our iPads are Garmin collars and Tritronics. <laughs> so, I mean, but it's just, you know, there's a time and a place. And what I do appreciate is seeing kids that are in the four or 500 club because that's a lot of time. <laughs> that's a lot of time in the woods. And I think of it as a lot of money for them, but I don't think they're even going for that. <laughs> no, they just, it's, it's funny. The kids, are, they want to shoot, but they probably better do, do a better dog work with them coon dogs than, uh, than I <laughs> I need to have some high schoolers on the podcast. <laughs> that is funny. Well, and I, you know, I just, I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, I guess. You know, I guess a, a, a coon or a coyote would just, they're not going to point a bird. They're just going to dive right in. So, yeah, those quail, they're not going anywhere. Okay. I had not really thought about that. Um, huh. I want to go down to South Georgia because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of coon hunting down there. I would be curious to know how that affects our population too. Like that would be I something. Say there are a lot of high schoolers down there. <laughs> there are a lot of high schoolers down there, <laughs> and, and it ain't nothing but open land and time. So trust me. <laughs> so just just moving forward, um, as far as your chapter mission, something that really, really, really stood out to me. Um, and I was, I went through and read, you know, the entire page is, um, um, on the mission. One of the things said that you guys are introducing and, um, advancing prudent, prudent management of, uh, conservation policies. What are some of the policies that kind of stand out for you guys that maybe you guys are after or trying to introduce or anything like that? Well, I think, you know, some of the big stuff from a chapter standpoint is, you know, habitat, habitat, habitat. Right. You know, without habitat, we can't have birds. And yet, you know, predators and, and weather and all those things play a factor. But, you know, we see time and time again that if, if there's quality habitat, yep. there's going to be there's going to be birds. Uh, and so I think that's the biggest thing is, is Pheasants Forever has paid farm biologists throughout the state. So making sure people know the resources there. Um, assisting with cost share as they're putting programs in and, and things. Um, and then, you know, the last few years, Iowa, I think it was in 2010, passed, the voters passed a constitutional amendment to, uh, to have a three-eighths of a cent sales tax added on 
um, and that was supposed to go all, all the conservation and outdoor funding. It's called IWIL, Iowa Water and Land Legacy, or nice. something along those lines. So that's been a big push since 2010 to get it funded. So the voters passed to have it added, but now it's up to the politicians to actually fund it with a three-eighths of a cent tax increase. So, um, you know, with politics the way they are it's it's a back and forth game and so we we haven't been able to get that passed in the state yet but we've we've put a lot of resources time and, and energy into trying that and you know calling politicians sending emails going down to the state house mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and really trying to get that passed if, if we get that passed i can't remember what the dollar amount is but it's like some ridiculous millions of dollars a year that goes into habitat and, and you know all things conservation and outdoors, whether it's bike trails, right, <clears throat> public access, etc. Right. Um, so I think you know, from a policy standpoint, that's one of the biggest things. You know, as you look at the political landscape that that we've really been involved with. But we try and you know, some of those things we all know how politics play, and they're just out of our hands. And so we try and control a lot of things as a chapter of what we can. So we work real closely with an organization called Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation. Right. They're sort of a, I call them the bank for conservation. Uh-huh. So they, they are a nonprofit organization, same as us, and, and they will go in and, and purchase ground and assets for public use. So uh, dealing with our Department of Natural Resources and stuff, they can't always go and swing a, you know, a $2 million purchase at, at the drop of a hat right. like you need to purchase some land. So the Heritage Foundation will go in, purchase the ground, and hold it until the DNR or county conservation can get their funds together to then uh, move it over into public access. Um, so our chapter partners with them. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with uh, one of their, their director of their land acquisitions through uh, the work we've done together. And, and so we'll help them. They'll say, hey, we got this acquisition coming up in Polk County or Jasper County, you know, one of the neighboring. And, you know, we need $10,000 to help make this thing happen. Can you guys do it? And so we partner a lot with them and, and getting that land secured. We're actually working right now. Um, they have a 360 acre piece, uh, secured right now that we're hoping to put over a hundred thousand dollars behind it from the peasants forever name. Nice. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's one of our biggest things is our chapter is very much of we're a nonprofit. We're going to spend our money because that's what it's meant to be done. And that's what our, uh, participants that come to our banquet expect mm-hmm. is, is us spending the money and putting it back. So, right. We, our annual banquet, you know, we, we bring home about $50,000 when it's all said and done in February or March. And, and by the time the next banquet rolls around, we're sitting at about $2,000. So nice. we're, we're putting Habitat in not only here in central Iowa, but we're partnering with a lot of other chapters across the state. And, and where there's a need, we're, we're willing to spend it because we're in the most uh, populated section of the state. We can't always buy ground right here in, in the metro. And so we're, we understand the need and, and good habitat is anywhere. So let's, let's put it in the ground. Right, right, right. I mean, I'm here yeah, for with, it. With the politics, does the governor hunt go into that at all? Not really. So Blake just mentioned the governor's hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, Iowa does have a good relationship with our, you know, government and uh, governors in particular. They, we host an annual governor's hunt every fall. The nice. state does. Okay. And different pheasants chapter uh hosts that throughout the state last year it was over by iowa city uh the year before down in southeast iowa and uh we reached out this year and and asked to host it as it's our 30th anniversary for the chapter and so we'll be hosting 
the governor's hunt here in, in Des Moines and, and actually partnering with our neighbor chapter, Jasper County, just about a half hour east of us. Yeah. Uh, just they're going to sort of help provide some of the ground and access and, and we're going to host some of the, the banquet stuff on Friday night. And, and it really just is a partnership, uh, you know, the governor, her cabinet, you know, a bunch of different prominent businessmen and women in the state come out to it and, and support local conservation Nice. and all the funds raised at, at the hunt actually go stay with the local chapter. So, you know, it's another opportunity for us to raise funds and, and we're looking forward to all dollars raised at the governor's hunt to go right into that land acquisition I just talked about. Yes. Um, you know, land here in, in central Iowa isn't cheap, especially black farm dirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this 368 acre chunk, I think it's a $2.5 million purchase price. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, so we got a lot of work to do and luckily we have a lot of great partners with DNR and the conservation board and, mm-hmm. and, uh, Iowa natural heritage foundation, but we look forward to, you know, hosting the governor's hunt and everything, every dollar that we raise there will go get matched and go right back into the purchase of ground here in central Iowa. Yep. 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 And that's, you know, you guys bring something, um, very valuable to the table and, for me, it's a, it's, you know, we're putting out a lot of big, you know, big numbers on this podcast and there's millions of dollars for this, millions of dollars for that, this many acres. Um, what I do really appreciate, um, that you guys have continued to allude to and, and continue to, um, state is the accountability factor, right? You guys make it a very, and I, I appreciate, um, Blake and Uriah, like you guys have both multiple times already have said, look, we get this money for this and it goes directly back into the environment because this is what people expect. And, yep. and, and very seldom in a lot of organizations can do you have that type of accountability? Because, I mean, it's just if we just break it down to the bare bones of it, if the habitat is not there, people are going to start asking, well, what in the hell did you do with this money? right i mean so i i'm i'm very big on accountability um and i just really 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 appreciate um the fact that you guys are turning that over and again y'all are so involved on multiple levels um you know i i feel bad for not being a pheasants forever member and that's going to change this year one of the things is is there's a lot of great outdoor organizations there's pheasants forever rough grouse ducks unlimited uh, i i say pheasants forever there it's really pheasants and quail forever for yep. southerners yep yep <laughs> it's it's because that's i'm i'm actually going to join the uh, red hills chapter down here but go ahead oh nice yeah uh but you know so i they they all do great things we're all we all have the same mission and goals um but you, you know what drew me to pheasants forever and i think what draws a lot of people is and not everyone knows this, but every dollar raised at the local banquet or through the local chapter stays local. Yep. Um, so we have full discretion and authority of how to spend those dollars. Uh, we send the memberships up to national to help support the cause with uh, lobbying and, and resources and those things. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, our chapter is, is, you know, we get to decide every year after the banquet, we come in and say, what's our focus this year, guys? Is it getting people outdoors through mentored hunts and things? Is it buying ground? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we want to spend these dollars here locally to have the biggest impact? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool for a, for a new member of, or new new chapter just to see how those dollars are spent and the impact we're actually having. Right. Um, 
just did it firsthand is pretty awesome, actually. Nice. Now, Blake, are you are you guys? You mentioned new members. How often are you guys picking up new members? But I'm just curious. <laughs> pretty pretty often, actually. Uh, for the chapter, uh, we just had two two new people join the chapter last last our last meeting. So um, people always ask, or people ask Uriah how how we get members involved in our chapter so often it's just showing that we we are we're passionate about what we do and we enjoy doing it and we make sure to not lose sight of the fun aspect of it so right right yeah and i think you know the big thing is you know blake's newer to the chapter uh but being involved for eight years now um it's it's really exciting to see what our chapter does i think you know we're one of the largest membership. I think we're one of the top 10 membership uh, chapters in the country with over 390. I think we almost broke 400 members last year at our banquet. Wow. Um, and of those members, we have, I counted the other day, I think we have 40 committee members. So 40 guys that are, you know, they're not always active 100% at every meeting, mm-hmm. but we have 40 guys that are showing up throughout the year to help plan, schedule, work, etc. And, and that's huge. That's unheard of. And I think that's what it's sort of the snowball effect. You, you get the people involved, you get them working, the network grows and, and you just got to really nurture that relationship we have with those guys. You know, life gets in the way, guys come and go. Um, but it's really making sure that everyone knows they're welcome. You're, right. We're not overbearing anyone. I, you know, being that I was on the state board, I, I have a lot of relationships with some of these smaller chapters and stuff. And in some of these smaller chapters, great people but you get one or two people that they're the only ones that are really you know putting in the time and, and effort and, and it really burns them out so right. that luxury of we have enough people to share the wealth and share the load and, and don't really burn anyone out right and that's i mean that's important man um one man or even two men you know can't float <laughs> an organization it, it no. has to be something that is Mutually beneficial, number one, for everybody. And I think that part's covered with the conservation aspect of it. At that point, is mutually beneficial. But when everybody comes together, you get really good organizations like what you guys are putting together. You get, um, you know, check marks beside recruitment, retention, reactivation. You get check marks by, okay, we've got this many members at, you know, the Northern Polk um, um, membership side of it. So... Again, it's just very impressive to, for you guys to um, to really talk to me because I. You also have to understand I'd ever I'd never really gone <laughs> that deep into the details of it. Yep. Um, and, and what's really fun for me is you know when I started, a lot of the board was, and I I still give them a hard time. I got to use this uh, while I still can while I'm still young. Is you know most of the board was old enough to be my my parents yeah right that's how you know a lot of these organizations are and you know like we talked about being the good old boys club Mm -hmm. is you know there was a lot of guys that and and they did great great things they got the chapter to great heights um but but there comes a time in every cycle where you've got to start putting new blood in there so our chapter has done a really good job of keeping some of that knowledge and that long tenure, but taking the workload off of them. Cause those right. guys have been doing it for 20 years. They don't, they, they want a break. Right. And, and so, rightfully deserve that break. Exactly. And so yeah. getting some of these younger guys in and transitioning, Hey, I used to get this donor, or this sponsor, you want to start, you know, making the connection with them. And, and I think what's really interesting is we just had this conversation at our last meeting is out of all the guys that were there when I started, I think we only have, 
three or four that are still like really engaged on the committee. We still have more that are still, you know, on our committee mailing list and jump in and out throughout the year. But we've been able to almost completely turn the board with new members and keep it growing and keep it on its trajectory, mm-hmm. which really says, you know, speaks volumes to the, the, the people that were there when we started to trim. Cause as you know, it's hard to let go of things a lot of times. Yep. Um, and then make sure that there was the right resources and on, in place to, to really keep things moving forward. Right. Right. That's cool. I mean, you, <laughs> this is, I, I, I knew this was going to be good to have you guys on there. Um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> man, um, I, you know, and I really feel bad, Blake, cause I wish I had to spoke to you more beforehand. I mean, it, cause Lord, this is, this is gold, man. You guys are really putting it out there. And, and you know, if I was up in Iowa, I, I'd have been right up there hanging out with you. <laughs> hey, you're welcome up anytime. You come up and we'll show you a good time to put you on some birds. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's definitely on my list of things. And y'all are going to be the first, you know, that I call up there. So my, my last couple of things before we wrap up, because I want to make sure that I get all the 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 good times, the laughing and stuff. I have this thing called cubby confessions that I do every so often. And it's just whenever you may have dropped the ball during a hunt, any story that just really stands out to you, what you got, both of y'all? How much, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I got, I, it's, it's a Sunday morning, so I'm here for it, whatever you got. Oh, well, I, I guess I can talk about the hunt that I had a couple couple weeks ago uh okay we we were out at creston all day um started at 8 a.m and hunted all day we finally got on some birds and dogs pointing pointing like a champion yeah and i'd go up and uh break the bird and miss that one uh, <laughs> it was a new gun it, it was a new gun uh, i got an over under and i I was shooting the under. And right. <laughs> that was my excuse. Anyway. And then later on, uh, bust, or got on another point, missed. And or the moral of the story is we got on plenty of birds. Copper was working the field great. He was doing a good job. And uh, I felt bad that we had to drive truck home with no bird. <laughs> <laughs> look, did did Cobber did give you the uh the, the, the F you look? <laughs> he, he sure did. He did not want to get back in that truck until we had birds. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the worst feeling ever when you know your dog is doing the work. And yeah. you just miss it. Man, Ruger will turn around and look at me like, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so you're right, what you got? Oh man, I uh, so with the power of social media, it's you know we all say is it a detriment or a help to hunting? But earlier this year, I was on one of the pages and some guy was like, "Hey, I got a I got a deer lease and we don't bird hunt it. I don't have dogs. Anyone wants to come over and hunt with us?" And we're like, "Yeah." I message him and seemed like a cool guy, and so we go over on a Saturday morning and and phenomenal ground. It's it, it was the one that I talked about where my little setter put thirty five miles on in a day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Phenomenal. We got into a ton of birds, both pheasant and quail, and it was about a 380-acre chunk, and, and we were going driving between and stuff, and, and we stopped hunting one section of it. And, you know, you throw the dogs back in the kennel, throw your stuff all back in the truck, jump in the truck, and we tear off through the pasture. Right. 
I went to the far side of the property and we're getting out, let the dogs out, you know, I get out and I open the back door and go to pull my gun out of the case and it's not there. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and I look and I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking in the bed and I go, I remember putting it on top of the kennels oh, <laughs> at the, at the last stop. And sure enough, I go, oh crap, load the dogs back in, go tearing off the same way we came, <laughs> looking nice and slow. If we get all the way back, and yep, there enough. Sure enough, there it is, sitting in the middle of the trail, about oh man, where we started. Uh, luckily, and I just got the new gun this fall, and I was all excited about it. Luckily, <coughs> I didn't do anything to it, and uh, nothing bad happened. But so we go on, we keep hunting, and I get all kinds of wrath from everyone. Yeah, I never heard this uh, one yet. Yeah, I'm leaving my gun on the kennels. Yeah, and man. Then we get done hunting for the day, and we'd shot some birds and stuff, and, you know, taking the collars off the dogs and all that. Load up, said goodbye to these new friends we just made out hunting with them, and, and we're driving down this level B, and all of a sudden I'm looking, and I'm like, crap, where's my Garmin remote? Oh, no. No. If it's Garmin, you know it's not a cheap product. So. Right. Uh, all of a sudden I look up, and it's sitting on my hood as we're driving down the Dude. <laughs> yeah, and my buddy Wes looked because today's just not your day, is it? <laughs> oh my God! Today, it, you just—it's just, it's just, it's just one of those days. Yeah. So uh, luckily, we uh, we shot a few birds, and the nice thing was, I just blamed the uh, all my misses after I dropped my gun on the gun. I think I bent the barrel when it fell. <laughs> <laughs> right, but but nobody ever made a trip to the gunsmith, huh? <laughs> no, no, it's it shot fine the next weekend. It must have corrected itself so, uh, <laughs> that, is really good, son. Yeah. that is crazy yo oh see that would have got me cussed out <laughs> <laughs> my wife you left a 1900 dollars gun and blah 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 I'm like oh crap <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah, I just didn't tell my wife that one. Oh my! Look, I don't know if I, I, we, I wouldn't have came home until I found that gun. <laughs> yeah, my, my stomach was the, not that, like, uh oh, this isn't good. Yeah, I'm bad. Wow. Well, okay. Well, I think you guys have definitely uh, topped my uh, cubby cubby confessions as far as anybody yeah. that I have had on. Made <laughs> <In> history. <laughs> Oh man! Well, gentlemen, um, before we wrap up, how do how do people um, talk a bit about the banquet costs? Um, you know, before we wrap up, leave the listeners with ways to get a hold of you, what it's going to cost to um, become a member, just things like that. Yeah. So, uh, banquet is March first. Um, really. It's $25 for the meal, $65 for the meal and membership. And they can sign up at uh, northern, northernfolkpf.org. Mm -hmm. And they can contact me uh, directly on my cell phone um, or email bbonnickson30 at gmail.com. Okay. And I'd be more than happy to answer any questions they have. Okay. Um, and if they want to IMU for the for my phone number, feel free to give that out to the to anyone. Okay, okay, and yeah. and and again, we got you know president, secretary, correct. So we we're at the point of contact. Yep. Correct. Yep. And and, and we're on Facebook as well at Northern Polk Cousins Forever. So 
anyone can reach out to us there, message, post, whatever it is. We post a lot of details on what we're having at the banquet. We'll have, uh, we're, we're just about to order our 50th gun for the banquet to be given away that night. Nice. Uh, so we'll have 50 guns, we'll have trips, uh, gear, dog packages, artwork, artwork okay. anything that you need for a man cave or a hunting trip gun we'll have. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you'll have, you'll have a pack of gun dog notebooks, the first and the second uh, model. Um, you guys are actually going to get one of the first um, first first prints. So, oh, awesome. We're yeah. <laughs> so um, I mean, I'm excited to to get it out there to you guys. Look, if I if I uh, if I can send a gunner to your way, I definitely would. <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave it on the back of the truck and lose it anyway. <laughs> so I don't know if I can trust you with it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm definitely going to. Um, continue pushing um the banquet and also want to just continue pushing anything that you guys may send your send my way if y'all need me to to push it on the gun dog no but just it's nothing but a call um you know it really is because i'm not going to have you on here and not support everything that you guys do um and i just really appreciate you giving the information and before we wrap up did did i did i cover everything i want to make sure we are thorough yeah, the other, yeah. the other thing I would say would be at the sponsorship levels. If anyone wants to sponsor a table, um, that's that's still open, I believe, since the last time I checked. Yep. Um, so okay, yeah, and I'm, I can't remember the different levels, but it's uh five hundred, a thousand, and two thousand. So uh, I think that's a big thing. Our chapter is is really you know I won't say we pioneered because there was others that did it, but we we pushed it to where we'll have. 90% of our people at the banquet come in a sponsor table and, and we put that $500 level for sort of that, uh, you know, Blake and Uriah that want to yep. get in as, you know, friends and family and just have a seat that's reserved and, nice. and all the way up to our 2000, which are our really strong business partners that donate every year. They come, they spend money and, and they believe in our mission. So, mm-hmm. um, we've really utilized those. So yeah, anyone that is interested in don't donating or sponsoring or, Anything on that front can contact Blake or I through Facebook, email. We're, you know, we are only as good as our donors and sponsors, and, and luckily we have a strong base locally and across the country that you know keep supporting our mission and our cause and and uh, helping the chapter out. Excellent, excellent. Well, I mean, yeah, donations are always a welcome. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and also, um. Wes Hansen, a good buddy of mine from the Release Hunting Podcast. I think he's supposed to be trying to send you guys some hats. So, yeah, um, he reached out to me the other day, so I just got to get back to him on uh, Facebook. Okay. Yeah, definitely a good guy. Um, you know, I talk to him pretty regularly. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of nudge him a little bit, too. Go ahead and send him that way. Um, you know, he was crazy enough to go get a German short hair, so... <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> the first two years, you're good. Right. All you got to do is get through the first two. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it has been such a pleasure. And um, I want to thank you guys for being on. And, um, you know, I'm sure my listeners really appreciate it. I hope so. Um, so, guys, that is the end of another great episode with uh, Uriah Hansen and Blake Bonnickson from uh, the Northern Pulp chapter of pheasants forever um guys stay tuned for another one this week follow up with these guys and and go ahead and help uh support the cause and just remember that conservation is the the 
integral part of what we all do. If we don't have it, we don't act on it, then we're not going to hunt. Just point blank, period. So, um, all right, guys. Until later on next week, talk to y'all later. Okay, guys. One, 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 one last thing. Um, I wanted to address something that had been kind of on my mind um, as far as podcasts. I'm always looking to improve and things like that. And um, I had someone reach out to me um, through my email and through my website and, um, you know, just give me some some really good feedback. Um, I'm looking for his name. Hang on one second, because I, I just. There we go. Um, okay, Charles Chamberlain. I uh, really appreciate Mr. Chamberlain reaching out to me um, through my website just for some feedback and and, and being a really uh, honest listener. Um, he addressed the quality of um, the audio in my podcast, and I'm at, that has been something that honestly I am actively. Um, trying to fix and improve. Um, there's a couple of episodes where the audio kind of came out funky. I don't know why phones do that, to be totally honest. I don't. Um, some phones come through better than others. I don't know if it's a, a location thing or what. Um, but I say all that to say I'm actively going to try to improve that for you guys. And also, um, if I can re-release the podcast that kind of came out grainy, um, hopefully you guys might go back through and, and re-listen to it or, you know, it, it's just there for, you know, to make me feel a lot better and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, Mr. Chamberlain, I really appreciate you, um, reaching out, you know, and I, and I hope you and your, uh, chocolate lab are having a really good, um, a really good season. I'll reach back out via email and follow up, um, so, yeah, you know, I just wanted to kind of address that, guys. That's something that I'm aware of that I'm actively, actively, actively trying to um, fix. And I want to, like I said, go back through those episodes, re-edit them if I can find a way to kind of get the choppiness out of um, out of the sounds of some of my podcasts. Um, I definitely will. Um, some of my favorite ones you know, Bud Moore, Reed Bryant and things like that when I'm not in person. Uh, sometimes they just come come through weird. I don't know what that's about. I'll try to fix it, though. So anyway, um, I appreciate you guys reaching out. If you guys have any more, um, you know, constructive criticism or, or anything like that, please feel free to reach out. Um, you can reach out to me at the gundog notebook at gmail.com um, through my website, Instagram, social media. Um, thank you guys all for being really, really good listeners. It's been a great start to the year and I look forward to putting out another episode for you soon. We sh we actually might have another one coming up this week, depending on the time frame. So look forward to talking to you guys have a great end of the season and uh, catch y'all later.